Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. A few years ago, I sat down with Ari Horier, and we talked about why men need women founders. Now, Ari is the founder of Women's Startup Lab in San Francisco, and she's always had a bit of a different approach. To encouraging women to start companies, both in Japan and in the U.S. Now we talk about some of the successes and failures of women startup labs, the different things that attract women to entrepreneurship in Japan and in America, and we cover some of the most successful strategies used by women founders. Now Ari and I first recorded this conversation a few years ago. Before the Me Too movement had such an impact, we had a chance to talk again recently, and after the interview, I'll give you an update on some of the most important things that have changed since then, and on a few things that haven't. This week, we're going to talk about women, investors, and founders who visit Japan for the first time. Are often amazed at the number of women founders here. You've met some of the more innovative ones on the podcast already, and you'll meet a few more in the weeks to come. But today, I'd like to introduce you to Adi Horie, CEO and fearless founder of Women's Startup Lab in San Francisco. Ari works with women founders and men too, in order not only to promote entrepreneurship, but to improve the effectiveness of startups in general, and to give founders a larger set of tools from which to choose. We also talk about her improbable journey to becoming one of the leading forces behind women in entrepreneurship, but you know, I don't want to give too much away here. So let's get right to the interview. So I'm sitting here with Adi Horie, the fearless founder and CEO of Women's Startup Lab. So thanks for sitting down with us. Thank you for having me today. Delighted to. Now, actually, this is. Probably the first time you and I have had a long, serious conversation without wine in front of us, so it's a little unusual. <laughs> <laughs> but, but hopefully, this will be just as interesting as our previous conversations. Certainly. <laughs> Women's Startup Lab. There, there's a lot of accelerators and、um, startup incubators in both in San Francisco and in Tokyo these days. But, but you guys are doing something that's a little bit different. So, Women's Startup Lab started as、uh, more of a community-based organization, having、uh, many mentors out there coming in and wanting to really support the female entrepreneur. And along the way, we decide to take on the next huge step, which is run as accelerator. And one of the things that we look at is what's missing in the market ecosystem to really have a woman to be successful. So one of the things we do is really focusing on、uh, three element. One is providing a resource to make companies successful, and the other elements that unique about us is we put so much emphasis on developing CEO, founder through actual knowledges,、mm-hmm. uh, through mentoring, and through actual executive coaching. To really help them to find their own voice and leadership style, to actually gaining confidence in the way that they never really、uh, realized. It sounds like Women's Startup Lab puts a lot more emphasis on personal growth and education than simply corporate growth. 
Right. And one of the, the third item is, was to surround a female entrepreneur with a strategically thought through network. And as you were talking about, the uh, support to grow founder is especially important when you have early stage startup. Now, when you have a lot of money in the bank and you can hire people and people will continue to show up at the office. And, but when you actually don't have that money to pay, you as a founder constantly enrolling yeah. and convincing the people. So, so most of your companies are very early stage seed or pre-seed stage companies? I would say pre-series A. Okay. Um, so many of the company that are actually having already uh, quite a bit of traction. Um, we had a batch where half of them are serial entrepreneur. Oh, okay. Which I think is interesting because you don't really see serial, male serial entrepreneur say, Hey, I want to go to accelerator, hang out. Female entrepreneur said, I know I have been successful. But I want to be around other female entrepreneurs who succeeded and wanted to collaborate. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there is that difference in opinion? One of the things that we consistently hear is we are so single out. Um, I am the probably the only woman in the boardroom or in the meeting. As an entrepreneur, they might have succeeded building a company, but they also felt it was always surrounded by very much a masculine style. There's no no point in me ever thinking, saying that women are better than men. I never think that way. It's more of what is the different approach the woman has, the different than male? Uh, what is the different point of view that we bring in the market? And those female entrepreneurs said, look, I've been doing fine, but I would have approached it differently. I would have discussed it differently. We have uh, collaborated differently if I had a more feminine style or woman in the room. What is that specifically? Because that's a fascinating statement right there. So what is the biggest difference on average in the way that male entrepreneurs approach a problem and female entrepreneurs approach a problem? So uh, before we start uh, Women Startup Lab, we've spoken to many specialists uh, why women function differently than men and their traits and uh, pros and cons. And one of the things that was quite evident was the women thrive in a collaborative environment. Hmm. And uh, their confidence also increases. And they gain much better perspective in making a decision. Uh, versus men, they tended to be more of a devil's advocate style. Each of them has idea. And they will kind of compete each other. My idea is this. Well, So one of the example is, so I have this idea. And the next person would say, but I think this way. Versus if it was a woman, more of, I have this idea. And next person who happened to be a woman would say, and we can do this. So it's a collaboration means there's one idea and they tend to add on or connect that instead of a competing idea at each other. You know, I have to say that that makes a lot of sense. I think another perspective though, what, what you're describing, this collaborative decision-making isn't necessarily just masculine feminine. I think the, the Japanese style of decision making is, is very much more that consensus based rather than the competition based. When you look at the Japanese culture versus American culture, it's a collaborative culture versus more independent culture. Right. So there's a similarity to subject of women versus men in Japan versus the United States. But one of the things I also see is in Japan's very much hierarchical. 
Right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So that's very much of a masculine style in many way when you look at it. Women right. do not necessarily create the hierarchy. They tend to have a more of a collaborative environment, which they rather say, "I am with you. Let's do this together." Versus, "Let me tell you, I got these things." And it's nothing wrong with both side. The whole point here is when you have one style. You ended up not seeing the other side of it,、right. and our mission is really to bring a unique、um, style that has been kind of、uh, lost in this male-dominated industry, technology industry. <laughs> But that's <laughs> and, a good point. Women's Startup Lab is not all women, right? No, There's plenty of men involved in yeah, this. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up.、Uh, we support a woman-led company, and we welcome male teammate to be here. Our mission is to really bring the collaborative environment. The both idea and good stimulation happen both the men and the women. But we, our mission is to have more female entrepreneur, a woman, being successful and influencing the world. There's absolutely no question. The San Francisco startup scene is heavily male, male dominated. The Japanese business scene is heavily male dominated. What are the biggest challenges that that women face in in San Francisco? In in the startup environment, I think one of the biggest challenges that I see is when the certain ecosystem are, are very much dominated by one kind. It sets the tones as if that's the superior kind. For example, many of a female entrepreneur who has amazing technical background, PhD. But because it's been so dominated by men here in the Silicon Valley, some of those female entrepreneurs said, "I told them I get what they're talking about," but they continue to. Assume that I don't understand any of the technical <laughs> language. As a female entrepreneur, it becomes very difficult to get resources. Again, you know, when you're running a startup, because you don't have money too, that you tended to bring people who share the same passion,、right. uh, share some sort of、uh, personality, or so there's some sort of a clicks going on. You tend to form a team based on the people you relate to and are comfortable with. And most of the resources or ecosystem here in the valley tended to be male. It's just that much extra difficult for women entrepreneur to create a resources around. Do you think it's more of a, a subconscious judgment that people make, or is it something that like a, a conscious discrimination? Yes, yes, and it's totally. This is not a malicious, intentional、uh, act by men at all.、Um, All of us, including a woman against a woman,、um, among ourselves, we have lots of things called unconscious bias, and that's a hot topic right now. That tended to limit the opportunity、uh, because we're limited thinker unconsciously with those. Right, right. <laughs> Did you personally face any of that kind of discrimination when, or subtle bias when you were trying to set up women's startup labs and raise funds for it? <laughs> so when I started Women's Startup Lab, my mission was to have more women. Being、uh, a visible place, so having more role model. For example, at the Silicon Valley, every single pitch event I went, literally every single judge was men.、Hmm. And not only you don't have a female-led company was on the stage to pitch, but the judge、uh, versus sometimes the audience tended to be male-dominated. But that sometimes happened depends on the industry you're in. Sure. But the judge is something. You have to consciously make an effort to reflect the opportunity in the market. So, at some point, I realized that wasn't quite optimal setup. That、and、makes sense, right? And so, I start contacting、uh, several prominent startup organization here in the Silicon Valley, and I said, "Look, you don't have to do anything. Let me bring you really awesome female speaker, 
or judge, can I make a recommendation? Even one or two out of 15, can you have a woman on the stage? There's two male founder turn around and said, I will never, I will never do anything focused on women. Really? And uh, we want women to be there, but the woman's the one who say no for the stage. So it's their fault. And we will never do anything special. That, uh, the other founder specifically said to me that we are a discriminatory organization, that we focus on women. And I made it very clear that I do support uh, male to go through our program as well. But it is okay to say we focus and support women. And so... Uh, now, to tell you the truth, those organizations now get quite a bit of funding from other organizations to do the women program within their program. Oh, really? Now they're uh. public saying, oh, we always wanted to support women. Uh, we always wanted to do this thing. And so I find that to be a little bit um, Hippocratic, the fact that... Yeah, but on the other... I, I can understand why that is frustrating. But on the other hand... It's a good thing that it's happening. Exactly. It's, it's a good thing that they actually are running these programs, even if they don't, even if they don't really want to. <laughs> no, at the end, um, they have increased more women uh, participant and brought the more awareness and acceptance, right? So reason why I didn't want to have another three, four additional women's group, instead of just building my organization, I went them and asked those things was right. you have a male audience. You have a certain present and I need you to be able to say we're including. So that was in the, in the past. And so them actually including women do make a huge difference. So you're right. Well, it's progress. Totally. Progress is good. Um, <laughs> let me ask you this. If most of the bias is subconscious, almost everybody agrees that women should be more involved in business and startups and they have a lot to offer in general. What's the best way to start a conversation about this? Well, talking about it is a good start. And one of the significant changes that you actually can make is having a more role model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Many of executive or any leadership role tend to be male. And if we just start mixing up. Uh, one of the examples, Prime Minister Abe was here. They have asked me to do... MC for his reception, which is a quite big role. And the fact that they asked me to do that role actually shocked quite a bit of audience. So after I have um, given my talk to open up and uh, introduce Prime Minister Abe, a number of people came up to me and said, oh my gosh, I never thought that Japan will ever put women in this position. Congratulations. And I'm so hopeful for the Japan's future. That is fantastic. And I've got to say, over the last few years, Prime Minister Abe really has been shining a spotlight on the importance of women in Japan and the importance of entrepreneurship in Japan. And I guess naturally, women entrepreneurship mm -hmm. in Japan. Women's Startup Lab is going to be coming to Japan in the not-too-distant future, right? <laughs> Yes, we would like to, to yes, our site is now set up to share our program in Japanese. Uh, we hope to support many ambitious entrepreneurs in Japan as well as the corporate 
who seek the opportunity to be more innovative and also look for the strategic partner here in the Silicon Valley, we would like to provide that platform. Do you think women founders in Japan face different problems than women founders here, or is it the same problem, just different levels? I would say same problem in different level because okay. fundamentally, men and women has differences, and how would you integrate is the same problem. Uh, even the race issue, uh, different degree, and certainly <laughs> country who have done a, a great job and having more women in a prominent uh, leadership role, they took just about 100 years yeah. to do this. When I look at the, all the history of women's changes, America is just about halfway, and it took 50 years. And when I look what's going on, some of the conversation, the pickling that goes on, not only between men and women, but the, among women, are just about what we had here in the United States 30 years ago. Okay. So you think Japan will follow a, a similar path that America did? In, in many ways, we're, we're same human. Sure. And there's a basic human desire to make an impact and what motivates us, having a passions, and that's just a drive of... Uh, better society. And I think women realize I'm educated. I can do something. I want to feel my value. And when they got the opportunity, they want to pursue it. Hmm. But the past the culture or some framework of what women should do break the mold. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that might be one of the reasons that entrepreneurship is so attractive to women in Japan. I think it allows them to bypass, instead of waiting for 30 years for Japan to catch up to <laughs> Western way of thinking, it allows them to bypass that and succeed or fail on their own, on their own ability. Yeah, Tim, I'm so glad you brought it up because people often ask me, why did you start a women's startup lab? I said, we need to pursue this this change through tech startup. If we can give a tools to women and this tech industry is a lot more forgiving and flexible mm -hmm. and you're not waiting for somebody to prove you to become CEO. You could be CEO of one employee. Right. But when you start out, you usually are. <laughs> yes. But if you have a great idea, now you can actually access to the customer with a very little cost then that means that women has more opportunity to prove themselves. You don't have to have all those massive number of employees to build a company, but you can start small. What's well, a very fair way of playing. Very few people have some sort of intrinsic advantage. You know, last 30 years, US too, they put a lot of uh, money yeah. and effort to try to have more women to be on the board seat. Still have a processing culture, it taking a long time. But if it's anybody, even eight years old can build the company and it's successful. And then people say, hey, you got a result. We love you. Right. If you hit your numbers, those are great. Right. We're not arguing with that. And so this is a great pathway and opportunity for women to really go out there and show what they got. I'm, I'm very active in uh, the startup scene and I do coaching for Startup Weekend on occasion. What I've seen is particularly the events focused on younger people, college students. Between one-fourth and one-third of the participants are women. There is a tremendous interest in entrepreneurship among Japanese women. What I'm hearing from some of the female students is that they have studied and they wanted to have a success in the future. But when they look at some of the, the path, oh, if I marry, I might not be able to have the freedom. 
um, if I go to corporate, I might not have the full opportunity. Given that many young women realize, maybe I have to hurry up and pursue this startup things and see if I can make something of it in a positive energy. Sure, it's it's a motivation. It's it's yeah. yeah. You moved from Japan to San Francisco uh, almost twenty years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So what what brought you to San Francisco the first time? When I was seventeen, I was fortunate enough to go through this exchange student program. After spending a year, actually Southern California, the sunny Los Angeles, oh, I went back home, uh, whereas my home is Hiroshima. I felt the huge gap in between two culture. One said, "Tell me more. What do you want to do? Tell me more about your different thinking." Versus when I went back to Hiroshima, first things I was told is, "Don't you ever share anything that you learned from America? It might distract other student. Do not say anything about America." Yeah, I, I, it's I, huge difference. It seems that most Japanese who study abroad get this lecture when they come back, saying, "Just keep that in your heart, but don't tell anyone." Right. They were afraid a new thinking could disturb the order. And I certainly respect them anyway because Japanese culture wouldn't be, or our success wouldn't be where it is without some of those solid value and process to pass on the good knowledge or not, right? Yeah, absolutely. But、um, as a 17 years old, that felt so suffocating. <laughs> I imagine. Yes, I'm sure. It was suffocating to the point that I felt my soul would be <laughs> crushed. <laughs> I mean, now I look back, and it's quite amazing to think that as a 17 years old, I have that awareness. I convinced my mother, only child of single parents household, so、mm. it was a big decision for my mother to let me go.、Uh, but while she was raising me, she always said, "You have to have your experience to have your own independent thinking." And she did it so well to the point that I became a so-called stubborn daughter. <laughs> No, this is a pattern I, I hear among not only the successful women entrepreneurs in Japan, but the men as well. Because let's face it, in, in Japan traditionally, their parent—well, I mean, all parents want what's best for their kids. Correct. Japanese parents tend to be very much opposed to entrepreneurship. It's still considered risky, and the social status is very low. The common thread I've seen among all the Japanese entrepreneurs I've talked to is very supportive families. Mm-hmm. That encourage them to go out and take risks and, and try something, but it sounds like you 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 had that as well. But it must have been difficult for for your mom to send you halfway around the world <laughs> <Yes> . and say, "Go do your own thing." <laughs> yes, she. I'm sure she was really、um, sad, but、uh, given how she brought me up. I think she kind of accepted, and she hoped that I will come back after graduating college. So after that, I went back to Southern California, graduated school, and what brought me up here to Northern California was a job I、uh, got accepted from IBM. So you ended up not going back after graduation. Well, I always wanted to go back to LA.、Um, Poor mom. <laughs> no, not for Japan. I think my mom eventually gave up. Yeah, yeah. mine too, actually. <laughs> I've been in Japan twenty years. <laughs> We're reverse.、Mm-hmm, that's right. But I remember at、um, some point、um, I decided to go to Hokkaido, and I said to her that I will ride the bicycle、uh, for a month around the Hokkaido. Wow! And I ended up doing it all by myself. 
I had a couple of friends and they bailed on me. And I said, I will not give up because this is a part of my practice of how my life is going to be. Something always happened and I have to always find a way to continue to pursue it. So this was a lesson for me. <laughs> so I packed up my bike and I flew to Hokkaido and left. And I remember my mom was so upset and said that, I cannot believe you're doing this all by yourself. Right. And if you die, don't you think you can call me to pick your buddy up? And I said, Mom, by then I'm dead. I can't call you. But that, that's a very <laughs> Japanese mom kind of comment, actually. Probably not with necessarily this topic, but... <laughs> but actually, it, it sort of is. It's, it's the same type of a, a risk-taking pattern. or But in the end, it's even bicycling around Hokkaido. It's not really risky as much as it is strange. People just don't do that kind of thing. When I have uh, challenges in my life and specifically running your company so on, I try to reflect my bike trip. When you think about it, and riding bike is like simple, but all those things happen along the way that set you off and knock you off. Some days are rainy and I didn't have an umbrella, so I have to ride all day long under the rain. And if I stop, I get really cold. So I could not stop. Right. <laughs> and you keep going. And that's just sometimes you don't know why you started. You know, sometimes you don't know which direction you're going. <laughs> I'm sure some days are absolutely miserable. Some days are wonderful. But his point is that you keep going. Yeah. Trust the process that you will get there. And I did. Excellent. <laughs> See, it's more related to startups than it first seemed. <laughs> well, let me ask you big, big questions about Japan. It's easy to be discouraged because of the low level of participation in industry by women. But looking forward in, say, 10 years, pulling out your crystal ball, what big changes do you see happening in Japan? Do you see more successful female entrepreneurs? Do you see women becoming more successful within Japanese companies? I think women will take a prominent uh, leadership role in Japan. I don't think there is any question about about that, but it's going to take time. Do you think we'll see a, a woman prime minister? Uh, why not? I, why I totally not? <laughs> believe that's possible. I, I truly believe Japanese amazing people, their integrity, the commitment, you know, in Japanese, majime. Oh, yeah. And they're such hardworking. And if they realize this is the right direction to go, this is the right thing to do as a team, they go for it. I think so too. I, I think the, that Japan actually changes incredibly quickly. Yeah. But it can take an awful long time to prepare to decide. Correct. But as you say, once the decision is made, it happens quickly. The quality and the perseverance that they have demonstrated, quality is so top-notch. And we've seen that through their product and the growth, uh, despite the fact it's such a small country, the mm -hmm. power that they have, uh, the shift that they make for survival, it's been incredible. And they know how to do it as a team. Women Startup Lab, we have a tagline said, individually, we are awesome, but together we are powerful. And I think that complete conviction comes from me being Japanese, experience the power of a teamwork um, growing up in Japan. And there's no doubt for me that Japan will get there. Right. And so Japanese company, Japanese leader have to learn to be a global leader. What that means, of course, they have to speak English. 
they have to be able to solve the conflict in a global way, not Japanese way. And so the transition has to happen, and that only happened after seriously faced with the survival. And、do、it's you, coming, I think. Do you think the change is going to come from successful female entrepreneurs becoming role models? Do you think it's going to come from large organizations finally facing that existential threat? You know, finally facing a chance where they're going bankrupt and being willing to change. Where, where do you think the change will come from? I think from? a big, powerful company in Japan has a power to set the tone. Whether they want to accept their social responsibility or not, one of the things we hear a lot here in the United States is: if you're a big company, you have that social responsibility.、Mm. How you behave, how you、uh, set the tone, and you have this role model that you have to play out. In Japan, I am not quite sure the big corporations see themselves as that. I think, yeah, I, I think the role has changed. I think they used to. I think they used to see themselves much more as a responsible force for good in society. Yeah, and、now. if that comes through, and I'm not saying as they don't, so I, I want to make sure that、yeah. that's not how it comes across. But I guess a lot of it is so many of those kind of subconscious barriers that you were talking about before. Well, one of the things you were talking about is the women will change the Japanese economy. Certainly, they will bring a brand new concept, and it forces certain changes. Meantime, I also think that many of Japanese that work outside of Japan, for example, like me and many other that who grew up as Japanese and have a strong value of what it's like to be Japanese, and they have a tremendous love for their own、hmm. root. Yet they also choose to live in other country, and that they understand the the different value. And I often feel like Japan's not maximizing those resources, filling the gap. Well, and I th- I think it's probably it's just the grown up version of what what you were told when you came back to Japan that you know everything you learned kind of keep it to yourself and conform. Yeah, I think you're right. Those people aren't valued. Those skills aren't used. I think it would be interesting if you have the. Foreign living Japanese to actually pull something. You left Japan and, and created a new entrepreneurial life here in the States. A lot of the participants in Women's Startup Lab are women from Japan coming to San Francisco to learn about startups. And there is this trend among Japanese companies to to move to San Francisco. I, th- I think there's pluses and minuses in that. But what what are your thoughts of the Japanese companies coming to San Francisco versus staying in Japan to form a company? I think not just the Japanese company, but many others seek to be here in the Silicon Valley is just massive resources. The level of sophistication and the maturity of、um, advisors,、mm. the mentor that you have access to, it's just incredible. I mean, just around our network, we have amazing leaders that who led all those well-known company, and they're serial entrepreneur. When you go to other places, you just kind of have few that are. Famous, and you recycle through as advisor, and eventually they become outdated.、Uh, they are overused among the new startups, and so the ecosystem is something、uh, Silicon Valley offers. It's just it's really hard to duplicate、hmm. in other places. Okay. Now you don't have to be Silicon Valley to access. My hope is that Japanese company stay in Japan, where they continue to build their identity and thrive in their business, 
and have access to mentor and advisor from Silicon Valley. Right. So part of a woman startup lab is have them go through our program, help them to create their network and find a mentor, the advisor here. So when they go back, they can actually build the global company being a Japanese company as well as having a global perspective from Silicon Valley mentor. I think that would be awesome. I think so. That makes have. sense. That, that is kind of the, the best of both worlds because you want to be, well, wherever you are in the world, you want to be close to your customers, but to also be able to be plugged into a global network of advisors and, and partners is incredibly valuable. But I have to say, you know, you can learn about culture without going there. And if you want to understand the, how the Silicon Valley work, whether you choose to move and never go back, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think it's still worth it to be here and experience it, to just really immerse yourself into whatever you're seeking here in the Silicon Valley. You talk to so many new founders, both men and women. What's the most important advice you have for women or men too, I suppose, who are just about to start their first company? You need to look at the team you built, right. who, who's going to be your teammate, and also choose advisor wisely. Besides that, you will get a lot of advisors all the time, and many of them contradict. So while you're getting all those information, you as a first-time entrepreneur, you have to really, really ask why you are doing it and why you want to stick with a certain strategy while everybody else is wrong. And so you have to really ask what you're willing to do and stay focused on the each milestone that you set up. So you have to be really true to your own vision. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, you get thrown off quite a bit. I can imagine. Before we wrap up, is there anything you want to add? Anything that we haven't talked about? The Women's Startup Lab is uh, focusing on women. But we're truly passionate about change, transformation for people really utilizing their talent and traits. And if any of you are out here in the Silicon Valley, I would love to have you guys stop by Women Startup Lab. And our program is available for not only for female entrepreneur, but for um, entrepreneur that seek Silicon Valley experience, as well as for Japanese corporation. So we'd love to have um, all of you consider checking us out. All right. We'll make sure all those links and resources are up on the website. So listen, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with me. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you so much. And we'll have some wine next time. (laughs) Sure. And we're back. What impressed me most about Ari's approach, and the reason I think it's succeeding so well, is that she's not focused on empowering women or leveling the playing field or any of those other buzzwords. Those kind of programs always seem to imply that women somehow need help in fitting into a man's world or that the men's world is too hard and needs to slow down to allow women to compete. Ari's approach of demonstrating that collaborative, less confrontational styles of communication and problem-solving are actually superior in many situations, and that these methods can be successfully adopted and integrated into larger organizations seems to me a far more powerful force for change. And frankly, I think a lot of women founders have an advantage in the fact that they are doing things differently from their male competitors. As we see more and more successful women entrepreneurs, hear more and more success stories, and see more and more role models in successful female founders, 
I think women in tech and startups will be seen as perfectly natural and unremarkable. And then Ari will be out of a job. But we're a long way from there. These ideas have not yet been universally accepted. But that's the point of an incubator. And Women's Startup Lab is incubating and growing not only the companies founded by women entrepreneurs, but they are also incubating the very idea of competitive advantage in using a wider range of tools like collaborative decision-making. We're only seeing the very beginnings of the long-term impact Women's Startup Lab will have. Okay, time for an update on what's really changed over the past few years. Now, before I get into this, I, I want to explain that I always feel a little strange talking about female founders in Japan. I mean, it, it's an important and interesting topic, and I get asked about it a lot. However, it's something that I, having never been a female founder, have no direct experience in. And the women founders who come on the show have a huge variety of opinions on the topics. There are so many things you can't really understand unless you've lived them. So I try to direct people asking questions to the specific interviews themselves, and most of my own opinions on these matters are really just reporting or paraphrasing what women founders have told me. Today, Adi, but often others. So... The good news is that some things are definitely getting better. The Me Too movement raised awareness of the problem, and there seems to be a lot less blatant and direct harassment of women founders than there was a few years ago. It's now pretty rare for women to be told that they are hot at pitch contests or invited up to hotel rooms to discuss investment terms. So that's progress, I suppose. But that kind of harassment is relatively easy to address. That kind of bad behavior tends to get called out now, and the prospect of embarrassment is enough to keep most would-be misbehaviors in check. But as already explained, the biggest problem is a subconscious one. It's a problem of attitude. While it's relatively easy to get companies to sponsor women's entrepreneur programs and attend conferences and publicly support these initiatives, making fundamental changes is hard. I mean, almost no one thinks that having more women founders is a bad idea. Pretty much everybody supports it as an abstract concept. But as I mentioned before, if you don't actually live through something it can be hard to understand it. And most business leaders simply don't see any problems in their organization, and so they assume the problem is external. And to be fair, the biases already talked about can be hard to spot. If an individual behaves badly, that behavior can be called out. There are social and maybe even professional consequences. At an organizational level, things are less obvious. There may be no specific instance of bad behavior to point to, and the company itself may be doing quite well. And it's always hard to get people to consciously commit to solving a problem that they're not consciously aware of. So, 
What's the solution? Well, according to Artie, there's no simple one. The communities of women founders are invaluable to their members, and the programs and conferences do help change things at the edges. Slowly. For the better. But slowly. The next big leap of progress will probably require more people to shift their thinking from viewing the challenges women founders face as women's problems and viewing them as our problems, all of our problems. A better understanding of why men need women founders. If you want to talk about women founders, Artie and I would love to hear from you. So please come by the site and let's talk about it. If you leave a comment, I guarantee you that Ari or I, or maybe both, will respond. And hey, if you get the chance, please check us out on LinkedIn or Facebook. But even better, if you like the show, tell people about it. Disrupting Japan has grown not by social media marketing or advertising, but because listeners like you enjoy it, and they tell their friends about it. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.